What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. You can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can find me on Twitter as well at Dan Urban MMA. You can follow the podcast at Couchside Judges. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review if you're able. And we're going to talk about judging in MMA, so you might as well read up on the criteria at abcboxing.com. So, Dan, we've got a fun little show. We, we've uh, we've got a guest planned. Uh, this is now becoming a regular occurrence again. I feel like we have like our busy periods and then periods where we don't really have guests and we just kind of like to do our own thing. Yeah, going a little bit of a lull guest-wise. Yeah, but it's always exciting when we get somebody to come on. You know, we like to we like to only bring on guests when we think it's you know it really brings something to the show or brings an interesting perspective. Um, and I think we have an interesting guest here. Uh, this week in Jillian DeCourcy, who is a active strawweight and atomweight. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, she definitely fits the bill since she just shadow judged like we did for Kansas. Virtual shadow judging. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, I saw that she had done that uh, for the LFA event last week, LFA 99. Uh, and I thought it would be interesting to bring on at an active fighter who actually participated in this program that the Kansas athletic commission likes to do where they invite people in and, and, you know, you're, you're really just kind of sitting at home scoring the fight and then posting your scores in real time. But, you know, I I think there's a sense that, you know, it it almost comes with its own responsibility, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. It totally different from scoring fights on Twitter. So we look forward to speaking with Jillian about that one. So make sure you stick around and, uh, yeah, I mean, why don't we dive right in, right? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to the Couchside Judges, Jillian. Thanks for taking the time to join us on the show. Thank you for having me, guys. So what's going on? I mean, uh, you obviously we were interested in speaking with you because you started do you did this uh, this shadow judging, the virtual shadow judging with the Kansas Athletic Commission. We had done that last year, so it definitely piqued our interest when we saw uh, a fighter, an active fighter, who wanted to do that too. Yeah, it just kind of uh, it just kind of happened. Um, they had reached out, asked if I would be interested in doing it, and I was like, "Yeah, it sounds like a cool opportunity. Let's uh, let's give this give something different a whirl." Right on, right on. So, what we like to do too when we have people on the show is we start out by asking the guests kind of how they got into first the sport, and then especially in your case, um, when did you decide to become a fighter? Um, well, for me, it, it kind of literally just kind of happened. Um, I played basketball in college. I played all kind of sports growing up, but they always like involved like a ball. Um, I played like, basketball, I played soccer, I played volleyball, I played softball. Uh, and I played competitively through college. Um, and then I just started training like after while I was in grad school. And, um, you know, just kind of like I was doing a lot of jujitsu tournaments, competing a lot in that. And I was just messing around in the gym one day we were just kind of like play spar play MMA sparring it was ridiculous and my coach just was like hey do you would you ever think about doing a fight and I was like yeah sure why not and then it kind of just took off from there so it was uh kind of like a random <laughs> random event that uh, took me into fighting yes yeah, so, so you've been an atom weight most of your career but your last fight at uh CFFC was at uh 115 was that more of a one-off yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, well, I did most of my amateur fights at 115, but that was more just, um, not knowing. Um, I was pretty much like, especially as an amateur, I was walking around where, where I was fighting at. 
Um, and it didn't come to light that I could fight lighter um, until towards the end of my, my amateur career when we were looking at options for going pro and um, what would be, you know, the best weight class for me that I started taking fights at 105. Um, I'm a natural 105er. Um, 115, I really don't cut weight to get there. Um, this fight that I took at 115, it was just an opportunity that we couldn't pass up. Um, it was for a title shot. Um, and it was a it was a fight that, you know, we thought I could win. Um, unfortunately, you know, didn't play out the way we had game planned. Um, but I don't I wouldn't say that a hey, fighting at 115 um, ever again is completely off the off the off the table. Um, but, you know, definitely 105 is uh, is my is, is a better fit for me. Yeah, you were definitely competitive in there. Uh, I just had one question about it. Was there a reason uh, they had had it as a four rounder and then it would only go to a fifth round if it was tied? Yep. So that's just how CFFC does their title fights. Um, they always do it four rounds and then they only go to the fifth if they need to. Um, not really sure why they take that approach. Um, you know, probably there's probably uh, like, you know, uh, the underlying reasons where like as far as commissions and insurance and things like that, where, you know, it probably is more cost effective for them if they do it that way. Okay. But I don't know the I don't know the real reasons. That if I had to make an assumption, that's what I'd probably say. Okay. Well, how do you feel about having experienced something like that, where you know you didn't necessarily have access to a fifth and final round? And honestly, you know, you know, Dan and I both watched the fight uh, in, in preparation for speaking with you today. And you know, I would say there was probably the fourth round was was kind of clear who won it, but those those first few rounds were were all very close. Yeah, yeah. She definitely got the you know she got the better um, in the fourth round. Um, it kind of it kind of sucked how that uh, how that event kind of played out. I kind of put myself in that in that the bad position where she landed really the uh, the clear shots. Um, I rolled my ankle pretty badly uh, towards the beginning of the fight. I mean towards the beginning of that round, and I kind of fell over, which put me in in a ter- terrible position for a ground and pound. Um, but you know it is what it is. Um, but as far as like having like a four round fight. Um, I had, I had kind of told my coach before the fight, I was like, I don't want it to go to the fifth round. Um, like, you know, I wanted it to be, uh, the reverse side where I was the clear winner at the end of round four. Um, just because I mean, thinking about like the amount of pressure going into a fifth round, knowing, you know, going into that fifth round that, Hey, this is, this is the round that decides the entire fight. Um, that's like, I feel like a whole different level of pressure than if you already know it's a five round fight from the beginning. Cause it's like, okay, we don't really know who the, who the winner is. Yeah. But with the way they do it, if you go to that fifth round, you know, it's tied. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, but you know, I'm glad you actually kind of bring that up because not that you've had the chance to experience this yet, I don't think, but obviously you fought most of your career for Invicta uh, over in right. Kansas, where obviously this took place, and now they do open scoring. So yes. you would have the ability to participate in that the next time you fight there. What do you think of the open scoring? Um, I think it's awesome. Um, I like how they do it, though, where they don't. Um, it's not in a place where the fighters can see it. They show it to the coaches, and then it's up to like the coach to let the fighter know or not. Um, I like that approach to it because it gives you know, it gives your coach the, the complete say in, in what they feel is best and like what you decided with your coach prior to the fight. Um, but I like that approach to it because um, my worst enemy in, in fights is um, not knowing where I'm at. Um, I'm, I'm definitely my own worst enemy come, come fight night. Um, I always underplay my performance. Um, and I think that was a big factor in, in uh, me not doing certain things in my last fight is that um, my perception of the fight and what actually um, happened in the fight was very skewed. 
So, you know, I think having that open scoring and knowing, hey, you're down or, hey, you're up um, is, is valuable to the fighter and the corners because it's not a guessing game. I would think that's actually pretty common, uh, the perception you have of kind of not necessarily standing or knowing where you stand. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. It's because we've, you know, I've done a little bit of research into the way, at least at the UFC level, um, fights get judged and, you know, how often right. there's kind of a variance in the scores. And there are certain divisions where you see a lot more discrepancies. And women's straw weight is, in fact, one of the the biggest ones where you see variations in scoring. And I, I don't know right. why that is. I mean, you'd only speculate, but you know, you're talking about your the division you uh, compete in. You've been in mostly decisions in your career. You had the one TKO yep. victory. Um, but I would have to think that that's gotta be a very common thing at your weight class. Right. Um, yeah, I think, and I think too, it, um, you know, my, my style of fighting, um, doesn't necessarily always play to the judges. Um, because I'm, a, um, you know, I have more of that grappling base and, you know, we, we see it all the time. You can land takedown after takedown after takedown. Somebody lands one big strike on their feet. They're probably getting the round. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. It's it's it definitely makes it a lot easier at really any weight class. I mean, anytime you land a, a high impact strike, right. uh, it, it's it really is a difference maker. Because uh, let me ask you, too, because um, you've done some some writing uh, for yeah. combat uh, press, right? Correct. Do you, do you contribute yep. anywhere else? Um, nope. Just combat right now. Okay, so you're uh, are you the kind of the women's MMA uh, report like specialist? I saw you did the one over the weekend. Yeah, so what I, well what I do for them is I pretty much just do like a when there's um women's fights going on, um you know I just do like a preview leading up to the weekend like what what I ex- what I expect to see kind of break down some of the fighters and then um you know after the 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 event after the weekend um I do a little like recap of who won uh, what my thoughts were and. Um, yeah, pretty much just kind of follow the, the major women's fight. How'd you get into that? Cause obviously not a ton of fighters are contributing, uh, you know, they're writing. Yeah. I mean, it's another thing. It just kind of, it just kind of fell in my lap. Um, I, you know, one of the things that, like, uh, I'm not so, I'm not the best on uh, social media per se. Um, now it's gotten better. Um, but one of the ideas that my manager had was, Hey, you watch fights all the time. So why don't we, um, just set it up where, you can do like, you know, just tweet during the fights. Um, and that's what got me going with the writing where I was tweeting and um, kind of reached out. And it was like, yeah, let's let's give this a shot. And it kind of just took off from there. And the articles have been pretty popular. So um, I guess it's a good, it was a good thing to happen. Yeah, right on. And, and honestly, I know exactly what you mean as far as kind of having a Twitter, but not really being that into it. I, I signed yeah. up for Twitter. At, I work in media, obviously. I, I signed up for Twitter in 2009. And I completely underutilized it for about a decade. Uh, and only just recently <laughs> started actually getting more active with it. So uh, there is a lot of power in that and in growing your brand and, and, and yeah. interacting with people and that kind of thing. Um, absolutely. And it's just, I mean, I, I'm, like I said, I'm just not, I wasn't the best at kind of doing it. Um, but this is, this has been found to be like my little bit of a niche where, That's you awesome. know, it's really, it's, you know, it's getting me on top some popularity, but it's also, um, you know, getting me noticed in a way that I think is a little bit different from, from some other active fighters where, you know, I'm not just, uh, you know, posting provocative pictures. I'm actually putting like content out there. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, you know, everyone does their own thing, of course. And, and, but you, you obviously you found your niche that you're happy with and that's really cool. Yeah. Um, now you, you, uh, are also very unique in that I understand you have a master's degree. 
Yep, uh, and I you have also a, have a, a business, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I have my master's in uh, mental health counseling, and I um, actually run a counseling practice. That's, That's wild. That's cool. a really cool thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's, not, it's usually not, a, not the most common, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, so we saw that in your bio. And I mean, I got to ask, though, how do you balance that running your own business with your fight career. I mean, this is this is something that's a little more common, I think, with fighters. Some people have their own business and everything. But how do you strike the right balance? Um, I mean, it's definitely like it has its its challenging times. Um, I mean, since COVID, um, it's definitely been a little bit more of a challenge um, balancing my time, just because unfortunately, you know, the the industry that my business is in is um, uh, an industry that has boomed. Um, with COVID because so many people are going through tough times in their life right now that, sure. um, you know, people are, are, are reaching out for, for help like they've never done in the past. Um, so it's been definitely more of a challenge than I had in the past. Um, and plus, um, now that I work, you know, I do most of my, um, you know, counseling through Zoom and, and virtually, um, I have a harder time setting my my boundaries um, where before I had my set days, my set hours in my office and, you know, the rest of my time was either spent training or, um, you know, just relaxing for myself. Um, now, you know, it's, it's very difficult because, you know, you can just um, I can schedule someone in. So I'm like, well, I'm home. All right. Let me just schedule someone. Um, so I don't have as, as good of a, a balance with that. Yeah, I can imagine that being challenging. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you yeah, at least find finding some sort of balance that you're comfortable with, and and are finding plenty of time to train. I would hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, training is definitely that's where uh, you know I definitely take a priority um, in in splitting my time. It's more the the relaxed time and the downtime for myself that's taking the hit, but that's all right. Sure. So yeah, you sound pretty busy. Uh, I imagine that you're pretty familiar with the Kansas Commission from your Invicta fights. Yes. <laughs> Before this uh, opportunity to shadow judge, have you ever had the opportunity to read the judging criteria or spoken to any officials, maybe even taken a course? Um, no, the only thing would be like, you know, our, our pre-fight kind of meetings that we have. Um, I always try and like read like what the, like going, like when I fight for a new commission, um, kind of doing like my own little research of what those judges look for um, because I think it is definitely skewed a little bit where, you know, different States, they look for different things. Um, so it's, I, I go, I try and go in as a fighter with knowledge, but I've never had actually, you know, done anything like this before or had, um, you know, done a, a judging course or anything like that. Well, I can tell you just from, you know, cause Dan and I, obviously we've had this show. Uh, we've had the opportunity to speak with many judges, both on the air and off the air. And mm -hmm. the one thing that, uh, judges seem to like to let us know it was uh, one of many is that really they all do subscribe to one set criteria, no matter what the States even say is right. they, they believe in and they practice the, the criteria that's outlined in uh, on abcboxing.com. Uh, if you okay. do ever get the chance, you should go there. I can, we can send you the link after this show too. It's four, yeah, it's like awesome. three pages. You should definitely read it though. Yeah, no, absolutely. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, and and that's one thing too is uh, what we've discovered in speaking with them too is so many fighters and you know don't take this to heart because you're one of uh, most yeah. of them I think they don't actually really know what the judges are looking for because judges are not typically made available to speak to right right yeah no we get to we get to talk to the refs and um, you know but not really the judges and and most of the time I, we I don't think even that's know a who shame, they are personally <laughs> what's that. 
<laughs> and so most of them we don't even know who they are. Um, but you know, I do like the like well, like with opening scoring now, you know, you at least know who scores, who scores what. Yeah, absolutely. They, and of course, they don't show it during the fight which judge is putting in which score, but they right. do, in fact, reveal that afterward. Uh, the Kansas Commission's, I, I really like the way they do open scoring, too. I, I agree. Um, yeah, I think it gives you ca- it's accountability, right? Um, and, you know, anytime we're accountable, we're, we're going to be better at what we're doing. I see it more, not, not so much accountability, but I see it more just, and, and this is kind of echoing what uh, Adam Rohrbach, the commissioner, uh, said there, because we've had him on the show. It's really mm-hmm. about just giving the fighters the tools just like right. you were saying right absolutely I, I feel like the more information you have the better um and i think it actually makes for better fights too so what did you think of the experience of of doing the shadow judging though i mean do you, you obviously you said you hadn't necessarily read over the abc criteria but what did you think of of kind of sitting there and putting on a different hat um i think it was it was kind of cool um like when i do like my my uh fight fight night tweets um, I kind of you a lot of times like give like my like opinion on like what my score might have uh, what I think the score might have been. Um, but it was definitely a cool experience to be kind of on the other side of it. Um, you know, even though my scores didn't really count for the fight or anything, just to get the experience of what it's actually like to look at a fight from like a different lens, um, not just as like a fan watching or you know as a fighter watching it, watching it in the um, in the perspective of like, oh, okay, wait, I'm judging this fight. What am I looking for? You know, um, you know, and not um, trying to look at it not from what just like a fan is seeing, where like, oh wow, that was like a a really cool shot. Oh, that person won the round. No, it's looking at it more objectively. When we did it, uh, actually, for me, I, I can't speak for Scott, but when I did it, I thought that it was kind of stressful, and I just, I had to make a decision. Like when we when we score fights on on Fight Night over Twitter, you have a little bit of time to to go over it in your mind, right? And it's kind of got to be pretty quick when you're you're actually having to submit your score uh, in this way. Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really feel like the the stress of it, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Where it is, it is where you can't, you know, you can't really take time. It's like instant. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, the fights were they weren't um, the most difficult night of fights to score, so um, that might have been, uh, you know, a factor in it as well. That always helps. <laughs> it yeah, does. It does. Yeah. Sometimes they're a little more close clear. Calls, so. <laughs> I think the night we had done it last year, uh, it was it was an Invictus show. I, I'm, it's escaping me which was uh, which was that card. Was was that Dan? Was that the card that uh, Alicia Zapatella won the title or no? Yeah, it was Zapatella and Van Zant. I don't know. That's if, right. I don't know if and it was a title. You've fight. competed against both of them. Yep. Yep. I competed against both of them. I, um, I competed against uh, Van Zant as uh, one of my last amateur fights. Um, and then Zapatella, I think, uh, one of her first Invicta fights. So obviously there aren't a, a ton of uh, women judging fights. Uh, would you ever be interested in pursuing that path to become a licensed um, judge someday? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, you know, fighting, we only have uh, so much time that we can be active fighters. And I definitely want to um, pursue some aspect of the sport once I'm done. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, a refereeing, whether it's judging, um, you know, I think something some, something more related to like fight night um, would definitely be something that I see in my future. That's yeah, awesome. I would think so. And, and, you know, you're close to, you know, several states because you're in Queens, right? Yeah, I mean, well, Long Island now. So. Oh, you're on Long Island. OK, all right. On. Yeah, but I mean, either way, it takes a little while to get out of Long Island, but. <laughs> yeah, but oh, no, I'm not too far. I'm not too far out. So. <laughs> not right, too all bad. Right. We're um, in Jersey, so we know what it's like. Yep, the, uh, that tri-state area of traffic, it's beautiful. 
Oh yeah, uh, it's lovely. It's a little better than, than it's been, right? I haven't actually been out to the city much. I've basically just stayed in Jersey for about a year. Yeah, I don't. I mean, even before COVID, I wasn't a big uh, going to the city uh, person. It just it more annoys me. <laughs> but now Understood. it's it's really there's no reason to go there. Right on. Actually, real quick, where where in Queens did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Glendale. Okay. Yeah, and then I uh, and then. I had moved to Bayside a little bit later on, um, like after right. college. Was there were there uh, like a lot of you know MMA gyms or MMA fans kind of around growing up? Even even when you weren't quite as into the sport or aware of the sport. Um, not not that, no. When I I mean even when I first started doing my amateur fights, that's why it was like when you know I didn't even know 105 was an option because at that point that wasn't as especially as an amateur, it wasn't it wasn't an option to get uh 105 fights when I first started. Um. So I think like in like my gym um, that I had started at, I was the only one um, that was fighting out of there. Do you find it hard actually to to find trading partners that you know roughly in your size and that kind of thing? Um, I mean, recently it's been um, a lot better, but mo- um, most of my training partners, especially up to I would say like maybe like the last year or so, have been predominantly um, you know the smaller guys in the gym. Um, now recently, um, I've been training a lot with, um, Caitlin Tukugian, um, and she's brought in a lot of other females, like into the gym. Um, and you know, so we get some good sparring in, um, you know, obviously size wise, even when I go with the girls, I'm usually significantly smaller, but it's just kind of par for the course. And I just try and embrace it and, you know, be like, okay, well, you know, I know I'm not getting this takedown because, you know, just the size difference. All right, but at my techniques on point, okay, I know someone with my, like, closer to my size, I'll probably get it. Um, and sure. I kind of try and keep that aspect um, and that mindset when I train. Yeah, and, and Caitlin's not the, the shortest uh, 125-er either. Oh, no, no, no. When we stand next to each other, it's it's actually hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. You, what, are you 5'2", is that right? Yeah, I'm 5'2". <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you're, you're not yeah, even we, the shortest like atom weight, I would think. No, I'm definitely not. Um, actually, I've I've had a few fights at atom weight where I've been um, noticeably taller, and that's always that's always a, an interesting experience on the other side of it because it's, you don't you know I don't ever train or experience someone smaller than me, so I'm like, what is this? That's that's got to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. So before we go, though, uh, I wanted to ask you, do you have any fights coming up or anything, you know, you wanted to promote, any sponsors you wanted to thank, your gym, anything? Um, yeah, they don't have any set fights right now. Um, you know, we have some things potentially in the works, but nothing's really set yet. So I'm just trying to stay active in the gym, um, keep myself in, in shape so then when that opportunity does, you know, co- become concrete, it's like, all right, we're ready to go. Um, you know, I think my coaches at Ring Sport Muay Thai, um, and my coaches at Long Island MMA, my manager, Jason Adams, um, and all my sponsors, um, Wendy with Seek Chick, uh, Fighter Alias, Receptor Naturals, um, It's a Clothing, Guard What's Yours, um, trying to think, Bushido Bags, um, there's probably people I am forgetting, and I apologize, because I know there's definitely some I'm forgetting, <laughs> um, but off the top of my head, that's, that's what I can think of. Um, and thank you guys for having me on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure. Dan, I enjoyed speaking with Jillian. Yeah, that was a fun conversation. You know, I, I like that she was open about, you know, kind of the, the, the fact that she hadn't read the criteria and that, and kind of some of the other things in the sport, like what she does as a fighter. When she goes to other states, she likes to, you know, read up on what the rules are. 
but I'm glad we were able to clarify that while the rules uh, are can be different based on, you know, if, if you're a grounded opponent, that kind of thing, unified rules are gone as we know them. But the judging criteria basically is uniform everywhere you go. Right. And I, I was glad that the ABC boxing doesn't have any words that say negative, uh, that say effective defense. Right. Like in, uh, like in Virginia. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, from what we've understood, Dan, and you know, this is that judges, even in a state like Virginia, where it kind of says, oh yeah, we, we judge effective defense, da, 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 that kind of thing. I feel like the sense I've gotten is that most judges kind of look at that and like, uh, well, we, we judge it this way because this is what the ABC criteria says. So, yeah. you know, it's not like they adjust the way they judge the fight mm-hmm. if they're in a state such as Virginia, which Definitely. has weird stuff. Yep. But that's that's hopefully hopefully if there are any other fighters out there who have kind of wondered about that or maybe had any misconceptions in place. I hope that clarifies it as as I hope we were able to do for Jillian, who who was terrific. I, I really appreciated her insight. Uh, and, and, you know, it's really great to get fighter insight in general into the way fighters think about judging, you know, of course. I mean, and then I mean, they should probably still read the state's rules as far as what's legal and not legal, because I think. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. As far as that goes, that that's state by state pretty much still. And, I, you know, coaches are going to tell their fighters what to do. I mean, we're, we're not in charge of anybody's right, yeah. uh, fight career. You know, we're, we we read heavily into the criteria. We speak with officials all the time, but ultimately we don't step into the cage. So, you know, the, anything that a fighter would do, they would, of course, consult with their coaches. But I, I would hope that coaches, too, would take the time to read over that that criteria and make sure that they know it in and out, back to front. It's only three pages oh, and yeah. a couple paragraphs. It's not long. It isn't long. Definitely not long. <laughs> but, you know, let's move on. We've got the weekend uh, UFC fights to be talking about as well. Uh, they're back at UFC Apex again for the 19th fight night card from there in the last, uh, what, nine, ten months? Yeah. Less. Two big boys in a little cage. That's right. Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. Yeah. What do you think of this matchup, just in general? Like, are you, Is it something that excites you or, it, or one you're uh, just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's another one? No, I, I always like when Derek Lewis fights, and I always like when Curtis Blades fights. So these are two heavyweights where my bias against heavyweights is non-existent. So, That's true, yeah. So. You you especially are a heavy critic of... I would say, like, there's. it's almost like for you, there's a line of demarcation. It's like, if you're not maybe roughly in the top 10, the heavyweights, you, you kind of want almost nothing to do with them most of the time. And then above that, you seem to have a, a, a much greater respect for... for the fights that they're able to put on heavyweight fights that have turned me off completely to the division are the ones where it's four minutes into the first round. And we just know it's going to be three rounds of two guys sucking wind following it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, come on. No, no more of those. No more. But no, the, 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 the elite are, are the elite. So I don't, I don't know who I'm going to lean here. I, I think blades has gotten kind of an unfair reputation from his last fight as a lay and pray guy. Cause he, he does got some good ground and pound. No, he does. I I don't think that's a fair label to apply to Curtis Blades. Um, I think what happened there is that Alexander Volkov proved to be very durable. I mean, the first, I would say the first two plus rounds were quite dominant. Yeah, but yeah, Blades was, he put it on, on Volkov there. I'd like to see him, them run it back eventually at some point of Volkov's new size and takedown defense. It was really just that Blades got tired in in at one point in you know roughly the third or so round. He still won the third round, but from round four and round five, 
Uh, in, in round four, he actually lost on two of the three cards. And then in round five, he lost on all three cards. So, you know, he wasn't winning that section of the fight, but he'd already done enough work. So unless mm-hmm. Volkov was able to finish him, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to lose that fight. Yeah. And uh, for Derek Lewis, I think his, his really only, only route to victory is probably on the feet. I, I see Bert. What, what are you talking about? Didn't you hear? He is an all American wrestler. Okay. He was talking I, about this. Hey, that, that, that's fair. It's, uh, all American wrestler. All of his knockouts were guys that just, you know, they just kind of fell over. Okay. That's the, <laughs> that's what he was, you didn't see that video today. No. Yeah, they put out a video. It's, we're recording on Wednesday. They put out a video on the UFC's uh, official Twitter. You should check it out. It's hilarious. Okay. Well, what I was getting at is I, I think Blades has more paths to victory. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Lewis. You're, you're so, 100% right there. So I'm, I'm leaning Curtis Blades. Although, here's, here's a good question for you. How many wins by submission, and they're not strike submissions, I mean submission, does Derek Lewis have on his ledger, do you think? Uh, how many fights does he have? I'd say maybe four. You overrated him, sir. I think you were probably reading too much into my question. Well, I was thinking before UFC days. Well, that, yeah, that's it was definitely, was it was definitely before UFC days. He only has one submission finish well, by armbar. Uh, I was going to say if it was by Omoplata, it counts four times. No, it does not. It's, it's, uh, it was it was an armbar. I haven't seen this fight, but you know, if you just look back on, on his resume, you can see that there is that one armbar victory on there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, after his last fight with Olenek, he said he got promoted to Blue Belt. So, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, interesting. So, what's your prediction? Who do you think is going to win? For me, I, I I definitely have to favor Blades. I think you know, like you said, the the more tools at his his disposal, um, the fact that with Derek Lewis, I mean, sometimes you get a really I don't I, I don't think it has anything to do with motivation. I think it has to do with the health of his back. It seems like sometimes mm-hmm. his back just doesn't allow him to perform to the best of his ability um, at times. So I think that's what holds him back. But when you think about Derek Lewis, uh, you know, I feel like it's easy to picture him just getting taken down uh, and beaten to the ground. I, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with a TKO finish at some point. I think it's going to take a little bit, but I think he'll get there. Okay. Curtis blades, Blades. TKO. It's a good prediction. What about you? I'm leading blades. I'm thinking decision. I think Derek Lewis will hang tough. That would be the first time he made it all five rounds, I believe. Good for him. In fact, that would be. Yeah, the, he's only made it to round four one time. He lost by TKO to Mark Hunt. Uh, oh, back on my, uh, what birthday would I have been? That was my 32nd birthday. Oh. Happy birthday to me. They gave you a big heavyweight fight for your birthday. He did, he did. I'll be 36 this year, which is actually how old uh, Derek Lewis is. Okay. Mm-hmm. And his birthday, he just had a birthday. The same day as my wife. No, happy birthday, Derek. Yeah. And you know whose birthday it is on Thursday, as in the Thursday that just passed? Curtis Blades. Well, happy birthday, Curtis. Curtis, birthdays a plenty. This is who's getting the good present of a W and a win bonus. You know, I, I actually, as you know, I, I interviewed Curtis Blades on Wednesday, the day before his birthday. And I, I did tell him at the at the top, I said, happy early birthday. And then I'm sorry. You have to spend the last day of your twenties talking to media like me. <laughs> he took it in stride. He's just like it's it's part of the job. <laughs> Maybe birthdays aren't a big deal for him. I don't know. <laughs> I love my birthday. I like my birthday too. I, I'm less so now. I'm more, I'm much more into my kids' birthdays than my own. But mm. yeah, birthdays are fun. I, I like to joke that that June is just my my whole month. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. It's a Scots month. Well, you know, I mean, my birthday is actually pretty close to Father's Day, so it kind of uh, just like just basically all it's it's all me for like 
that whole period of time. Okay. And everyone in the house knows it, and they're meant to treat me as such. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, but who should we expect to judge this this fight? Uh, this fight? I mean, I don't know which fights, uh, which judges are going to get assigned, but I mean, it's a pretty good bet based on past history that if Sal D'Amato is in town, he's probably at least one of them. So, you know what? If I'm if I'm going to make a bet, and this would be such a weird bet for any bookie to take, which judges are going to be staffed on the heavyweight fight, I'm going to say Sal D'Amato, Derek Cleary, and Eric Colon. All right. That's my pick. Solid, solid judges. Let's see if I right get there. it right. I think you might get it right. Solid pick. I don't know. We'll see. But, it, you know, I'm sure it'll end up being, again, some of the very talented judges that we've had in Vegas over the last year and, and which has expanded now because we've seen Jaron Vallel come into town and, and be judging too. We've got net uh, Brian minor last week, really uh, impressive lineup of judges that are available in Nevada. Now it's very, it's very cool. It's very reassuring to know that they're able to bring in all these excellent judges from across the country and give them even more experience. Yeah. The pool's on some of these deeper. cards pools definitely getting deeper. It is. It is. What about, uh, what about the other fights on the card? This is, at present, we have 15 fights did see that. scheduled for this event. I am sure we will lose, and I, I don't hope this or wish this on anybody. I don't want bad things to happen, but let's face it. The way things are going, we've been losing fights left and right. I'm sure we'll get down to somewhere around like 13 or 12 by the end. But what do you want to see based on what we have at present? So I'm always uh, big on the local guys that came up from around where we are. So I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to Chris Dawkins versus Alexia Linick. Huge step up in act, uh, competition for Dawkins here. I think he gets the job done. I don't know how old Chris Dawkins is, but I know that Alexia Linick is 43. He's about 10 and... years older. What's that? So he's like about 10 years older than him. Yeah, probably somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, you keep waiting for Linick to not be able to perform anymore. But, I mean, let's face it, the guy continues to show up and, and prove that if you can't stop him from getting that choke on the ground. I mean, you can't, you just can't stop the guy. You can't, he's got this weird skill set that I feel like almost will never expire. Jiu-jitsu or grappling? Never. I mean, yes, but like at heavyweight, it's specific to heavyweight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like obviously jujitsu is prevalent in the sport now. It's, it's, it's basically ubiquitous, but he, for whatever reason is just, there's fights, Sometimes he's not going to get it. He'll get he's going to get knocked around and he'll get knocked out. But if he doesn't, he's probably going to get you in a scarfold or a or Ezekiel choke or something that people just don't really train for. Typically, yeah, he's got he's got the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unorthodox attacks. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, you know, you can't plan for everything. I think in MMA, if I was a coach, I would sit there and I would say, listen, I want my guys to be ready to defend arm bars, rear nakeds, guillotines. And triangles and arm triangles. Okay. Probably the arm locks too, you know, like Kimura and that kind of thing. But otherwise, like everything else is very low percentage. Yeah, I guess it's probably fighter specific. Spi- sure, of course. Yeah, specific? If, you're fighting, if you know you're going to fight Ryan Hall and you're only training those things, you're going to get your leg taken away. Yeah, Ryan Hall's pretty nasty. I just noticed that. That is, a, I should say, heel hooks too. You got to be ready at least for, for the array of leg locks that are in MMA. Right. But you're talking about high percentages here. It's it's typically among that group that I kind of started saying. Yeah. So who wins this one? I'm leaning Dawkins. I think he gets the job done. Knockout. Okay. You know what I like too is the fact that you you said how much you like the the top heavyweights, mm-hmm. and then obviously Olenek is in there. But but you picked a fight 
Where he's... you think the winner is going to be someone who's not among that top. But he's group. up and comer, and he'll be mm. in the rankings after this. Oh, okay. well, I mean that makes sense. Uh, we're speaking of the pretty... speaking of the rankings. I mean, I know you, you told me that the UFC just does some weird stuff with their rankings, and I noticed. They sure it. do. I noticed it this Tuesday when Ryan Hall was just removed, uh, and then for no reason. 11 and 9 in one of the divisions were just swapped, and the two haven't fought in probably like three or four months. So it was Arnold Allen and Danny Ye. They just swapped for no reason. Yeah, I mean, there have been times where actually we have seen the UFC has removed fighters and what appears to be a punitive measure. Uh, it happened with Nate Diaz a few bunch of years ago. I'm sure, I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah. You're a big Diaz brother guy, but uh, it also happened with Leon Edwards recently. So there is definitely the potential for, I mean, for lack of a better word, shadiness. But at the same time, this is just weird things happen in the rankings sometimes because the panel is so bizarre. And, and now it's it's even more shrouded. When I was on the panel, my name would be there. You could look at what, the way I ranked it. You could call me out and call me a dummy as as has happened before. Uh, I believe Caposa actually put me on blast one time. Uh, <laughs> that was That was fun. And, uh, but, but now everything, you don't know who does what, you don't know who's on the panel anymore. It's, I don't like it. Yeah. But rankings aside, who are you looking forward to? You know, I, I actually, it's not necessarily the fight that I love that, that that's put, put together. It's more about the fighter, like the, the kind of the, the up and coming fighters that are on this card. Okay. And there's two in particular that I like. One is another heavyweight. This is all heavyweights here, apparently. Tom Aspinall, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, from his first couple fights with the UFC. He's got Andre Arlovsky in a big opportunity for him to go against someone who obviously has been in the fight game, you know, for what, 85 years? Arlovsky, that's another. I mean, that's a guy that we that's going to oust their Overeem route where we thought his chin was done and now he has this resurgence in his career. Yeah, he, every time you start to count him out, he, he comes back and he wins a couple, and it's like, okay, he's still there. But I do like Tom Aspinall a lot. I think he'll win that one. And then there's another guy, another one with local ties, South Jersey's Phil Haas. Yeah, Phil He's Haas going against Nasruddin Imavov. His last win was in like 10 seconds or something, right? 18 seconds. Okay, yeah. What a debut. I mean, that was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed seeing him and uh, – Look, we're from North Jersey. South Jersey is, you know, second class. Let's face it. Anyone who's <laughs> anyone who's from South Jersey, like they they know where they are in the Jersey pecking order. Let's face it, the pork rollers. Uh, but but I really was impressed with him, and, and I very much looking forward to seeing more of him going forward. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I think Phil Hall's wins, and I think Aspinall wins. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Couchside Judges. We'll be back again on Monday to break down all the judging and action from this Saturday. Thank you to Jillian DeCourcy again for coming on the show. We really appreciate her stopping by, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to her take. Thank you again, Jillian. Thank you all for listening. Take care, everybody. Have a good weekend.